0: Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand business show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Jess Lorimer. Sell them what they want in terms of transformation. Give them what they need. How you deliver that's up to you. But the real danger is in people who say, Jess, corporate companies have never bought anything like this because it is so radical and it is so needed and they just don't know it. And I always think to myself, mm, that's interesting because the planet Earth is a few million years old and we've had a few, I don't know, millennia of people on the planet. And so if you are telling me that in 2023, we have not found this one thing and that the market is not already saturated, I feel like it's going to be difficult to sell. I would always, always, always rather sell in a saturated market than a blue ocean one.
1: Hi there and welcome back to the Personal Brand Business Show. My name is Bob Gentle and every week I speak with incredible people who share their secrets to building, marketing and monetizing their expertise and the mindset you need for your business to grow and thrive. If you're new to the show, then while you have your device in your hand, take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. So that's the follow button on Spotify. That's subscribe and on YouTube. That is subscribe, like and comment. All three and also hit the bell for number four. So sales and selling have been a bit of a theme for me recently, and this week I am delighted to welcome the princess of selling to corporate, Jess Lorimer. Jess, welcome back.
0: Oh, thank you. Honestly, I was so excited when you said, do you want to come back on? I was like, yes, obviously I do. This is one of my favorite shows to be on, so I appreciate
1: it. Oh, you're very kind to say that. I bet you say that to all the shows. Ha! No. Sales and selling, I've said this before, they're the lifeblood of any business. And if you're not selling, you are going to struggle to stay in business for very long. Something that I see all the time is people trying to market their way to sales. It doesn't really work very well. And there's a whole industry grown up trying to fool us into thinking that there are all kinds of hacks and tactics and simple, quick strategies to lead generation that don't involve actually having to speak to anybody. Mm -hmm. Now I'm in danger of running away with myself with enthusiasm at the beginning of a podcast, as I often do, I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to say, Jess, would you like to maybe just tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are and what you do just to set some context? And then I'll get into my enthusiastic chat.
0: Well, I love the enthusiasm because I also sit very much on your side of the fence, so I feel like this will be interesting. So I'm Jess. For those of you who don't know me, I started selling to corporate, the brand, and also the phenomenally SEO savvy named business quite a long time ago. In fact, I've been in the internet marketing world for almost 10 years now. I'm about to celebrate my 10th business birthday in March 2024, which feels like it's coming around a lot quicker than I expected. So I started Almost 10 years ago, teaching entrepreneurs around the world how to successfully sell their services into corporate companies. I also run a consulting business myself where I work with corporate organizations, primarily in the sports industry, to support their sales teams in selling corporate hospitality, sponsorship, and partnership opportunities. So I see All and every single sales mistake, sales win, sales trend, insights across, it feels like, the world at this point.
1: So selling to corporate is is very different, I guess, to selling traditional small business to small business, I'll call it. I guess before we get into that, Mm. I'd like your perspective on this industry that's essentially trying to help people avoid selling. I think you know who I'm talking about. Not specific people, but what's your perspective on that?
0: So it's always interesting, isn't it? Because one of the biggest questions that I get asked is, how can I sell without selling? And one of the other biggest questions that I get asked is, how can I not be sleazy when I'm selling? And it's interesting because the, the two questions essentially are the same thing, right? We don't want to burden people. We don't want to make people feel bad with our sales activity. What I find interesting is that there is an entire industry and generation, and I'm going to call it out of the baby business coaches, teaching other baby business coaches to be baby business coaches, who have made millions out of the lack of confidence that some people have with sales. And so what they've done is they've said, hey, if you transparently sell in your business, i.e. you put out calls to action or you tell your audience how they can buy from you or you get excited about a new product or service, whatever it is that you create, you are sleazy. That is sleazy. And it's really interesting because that same generation have also made millions of telling people, it's fine, sell in the DMs, never sell publicly. If you sell publicly, you'll look like you don't have business because if you sell publicly, why would you need to be selling publicly? interesting. They're also like, get people into the DMs so that nobody can see how bad your sales process is or how ethical it is either, interestingly. And so what we've created is this you know, <laughs> generation of entrepreneurs who not only were lacking in confidence with their sales skills before they started a business, but have been repeatedly told that selling transparently is bad and that they will be seen as being sleazy. But now also who won't make any money because they won't do any revenue generating activities and instead are just focused, like you said earlier, on marketing their way to sales, building these huge audiences of people that they just give value to all the time. And that is, is super problematic. It's like a pyramid scheme, you know, because only some people are making the money and it's only the people at the top who are like, hey, don't sell transparently. Hey, only sell in the DMs. I think it's frustrating
1: put it lightly <laughs> I think you summarized it really really nicely that there's a podcast guest i'm having on soon i don't want to say who it is but i'm really excited about having her on because she's one of the rare people that i see online from tiktok who seems to have nailed having this magical ability to make me want to reach for my wallet which is oh, a rare thing i love that so i'm going to share her stuff with you after the call because i think trying to sell from the top of the funnel which is essentially what you're talking about hmm. is very challenging it's and it's not relationship selling and relationship selling from the beginning of time is what has worked
0: and it's interesting isn't it so i i know we talked a, a briefly earlier about the the fact that there is a difference between selling b2b and b2c so b2b as being business to business or two companies versus the b2c business to consumer or individual what's interesting is that Essentially, what we've created is a much harder way to sell now and a much less transparent way to sell B2C because we are taught about funnels. You know, this is my very obviously, this is going to be video, so (laughs) that'll be awkward. Um, (laughs) But we're taught about funnels on the internet. And essentially, what we're taught is when we sell to individuals, our job is to get as many leads at the top of the funnel as possible. And over the free content that we provide, the newsletters, the webinars, the podcast episodes, the YouTube videos, the free lead magnets, the whatever, we will eventually whittle our way down to the bottom of the funnel, the teeny, teeny, teeny percentage, one to 2%, if you want to be specific in B2C terms of your audience, who will buy. And that is what we're taught. And that's supposed to be like this great thing to aim for. And I think that's terrible because if you have 100 people in your audience and you're like, oh, I'm not gonna sell to them until I get 1,000 people because then actually I'll have a decent percentage that will buy, that's really damaging to your revenue and your confidence and actually really hacks your audience off when they believe that you weren't selling to them and now suddenly you are because you've got a bigger audience. It all feels very disingenuous. When we talk about B2B sales, I teach people it as the proverbial pyramid, we we flip the funnel on its head. And what we actually say is, okay, let's take it back to that old school relationship driven sales. Let's target the people who are right at the top of the pyramid, the, the small percentage that we know, who are decision makers, that will be interested in our area of specialism, responsible for that area of specialism in an organization, and have budget to pay for it. That makes up that tiny piece at the top. And then what happens is we have transparent sales calls with them. We discuss lots of taboo things like budget and when they want to get started and what they actually want to achieve. And then they buy and we sell things and they refer us to their colleagues, to other teams. And and so we build the pyramid out by just selling in that uncomfortable space in the beginning. And then over time, building up this bank of referrals and inbound leads and you know, people moving to other companies that want you to come and deliver the same thing to the company that they now work at. Essentially, we resell all of the time. And that's how people generate these bigger businesses. And yet, when we look at it like that, if we looked at it always like that, B2C or B2B, everyone would be like, well, why am I not? Why am I not doing the relationship bit at the beginning? Why am I not just doing the Let's be transparent. Let's target those people. Why is that not okay? And, you know, the simple answer is it's not okay because a load of people are making a load of money out of telling you it's not. Yeah.
1: Hi, it's Bob here. If you're listening to this show and thinking, this is way out of reach for me, I get it. But I want you to stop. Working with me one-to-one or in a group on your business is accessible and affordable, no matter what stage your business is at. Just open your email, draft a message to Bob at amplifyme.agency, or search for at Bob Gentle on any social media platform, direct message me, tell me your story, and I'll do my very best to help make sure that the next chapter is the best yet. The kind of sales process that you describe when you flip the pyramid, where you're really being targeted. You're not really going for a mass audience and just hoping that people trickle down the pinball machine in, into your pocket. What you described is much more intentional. Mm. However, what I see a lot of people doing is they give themselves permission to be deluded that that pinball machine approach can work Yeah, because it's less scary initially mm. than having to knock on somebody's door metaphorically and saying, excuse me, sir, I'd like to have a conversation with you about my thing. Mm-hmm. How do you help people pass that fear? Because that fear is essentially what's, mm. it's the big resistance. It's the thing that makes people fall for the what looks like the easy money rather than doing the hard work that leads to the big money.
0: It's a really good question. And I think there are two parts to this. One is that People who are genuinely wanting to make sure that their decision makers, whether that's B2B or B2C, have a good sales experience are very rarely the ones who will create spammy, sleazy, gross sales experiences, right? Whether they do that proactively or to the masses. The problem is that if you are not somebody who, how do we say this in a nice way? Uh, We can't, right? It doesn't have to be nice. That's fine. So if you're not somebody who has a social media personality, right? I.e., You are not somebody who was destined to be famous. Perhaps you did not score as a star on the wealth dynamics test or or whatever else we're measuring it by. And perhaps you are somebody who, you know, doesn't live the the kind of faux aspirational lifestyle that, that goes down really well on social media with the masses. It's going to be very difficult for you to convert. You're always going to have a smaller audience. You're always going to have to stand out through either having a very very small niche, or you're going to have to stand out through being exceptionally good and really good at marketing. So exceptionally good at what you deliver, and exceptionally good at marketing. Now, I'll be honest. I am that person. I have no faux aspirational things at all. Um, (laughs) I spend most of my time in my home office. I know. I was just going to say with my snoring dog. So if you hear Max, it is him. It's not me that, that makes the noise. And and over the years, I've been really successful with sales and with revenue. And the reason for that is because I've been very, very specific and intentional in both sides of my business. Um, what I do is very niche and I'm very lucky to, well, not lucky, I work quite hard to be very good at it. So if we come back to the fear piece, sometimes the fear is actually of being it's famous, right? Because the the general feeling is that we should all want to have these huge audiences become influencers. That's how people buy. You get thousands and thousands of people and then they just all queue around the block to buy the stuff. Fine. It's quite likely, though, if you're somebody who's worried about creating those good sales experiences, you're probably not going to be able to cultivate that large audience. And even if you do, you're going to feel uncomfortable selling to them. Because of problem two, which is the the mindset or confidence piece around how can I do this and not be Sleazy back right? Interestingly enough, that confidence, some of it comes from mindset. So some of it comes from how you feel about yourself on any given day. I know that if I wake up and my favorite jeans don't fit one day, I feel a little bit less good about myself than I perhaps did the day before. And maybe that affects my confidence with selling, with everything, right? Yeah. Some of it though, is to do with skill. So what I call the confidence competence matrix. Some other people know this by like the Dunning-Kruger curve, but generally we understand that if we increase our skills with something, our ability to do a task, we are able to be more confident about how we execute that task. We're also able to be more consistent with the implementation or execution of that task. What's interesting is that the online space, because it has been so pyramid schemey over the last few years, is that nobody really wants to teach the skills, the, the genuine competencies. Because if they did that, you'd stop buying. <laughs> and that is what keeps everybody in in this kind of fear around sales. And so people can fall into the trap of feeling like sales is this big unknown. Sales is really difficult. I was talking about it today on a masterclass I was running, uh, and we all agreed that actually lots of people fall into the trap of thinking that they need complex advanced sales strategies that actually just take ages to implement and take ages to convert because that is you in someone else's sales funnel finding it difficult Mm -hmm. so they've got something else to sell you. And when you start looking at it like this, it's a bit like, ooh, (laughs) we're living in the the twilight zone.
1: It's the health, it's the business equivalent of in the health space, you can, you can go and get all kinds of fancy therapies and mm-hmm. they will make you well. Yeah. Uh, or you can just take regular exercise, eat and drink well, and you'll be healthy. It's, it's the difference between painkillers and diet vitamins and exercise. Everybody yeah. wants to reach for the painkiller because it'll take the pain away temporarily, mm-hmm. but it won't make you well. Exactly. A good disciplined sales process will make your business well, um,
0: yeah, and we also have to remember that you don't have to like it. I think this, there's there's <laughs> this apprehension, right? Um, I've worked in sales for a very long time. I'm I'm probably a rare breed in that. I, I think I've said this before, maybe to you, but um, when I started out in sales, I started in a, a grad scheme for a company that used to hire hundreds of graduates every March and every September. And in my particular intake, we had. 86 of us just at the London office, 86, four of us are still in sales. So I'm a rare breed in that I really enjoy sales as a theoretical construct. I really enjoy it practically and and the implementation of it. And I enjoy training and I enjoy the data and I've done my own research studies and and things into what people do and why they do them and how much they charge and, and why that is. And what's always interesting is that everyone assumes that good salespeople are natural salespeople or that they just really like selling or that they really are money motivated. And actually that's not the case. So I've trained in the last 14 years about 20,000 people, over 20,000 people in about 22 different countries, six or seven different languages and across multiple industries. So I would say that I've got a relatively good breadth of understanding about what makes a good salesperson. And what makes a good salesperson or the best salesperson is they follow a proven process. They do exactly that process and nothing out of it. They track their metrics regularly and they use their metrics objectively to troubleshoot their process and help them make it more efficient and more effective. They don't use their metrics critically. Who beat themselves up and be like, I'm so crap because I'm not making enough money. They they use them constructively. And the third thing is they find the style that fits their personality. Not every salesperson is an outright extrovert. I'm not. I'm really introverted. That's why I like sitting in my home office all the time. I don't get my energy from being around large groups of people. I get my energy from being at home, recharging in a dark room. A lot of the good salespeople I know are also not extroverts but they're good at finding something that works for their personality. Perhaps like me, they are more relationship-driven. They're good at building rapport and deeper relationships with one to two people at a time. For some people, they might be great on stage. They're great at connecting large groups of people to one idea and bringing everyone along on the journey. They might be like a good mutual friend of ours, Andy Storch, who is just phenomenal at networking and connecting people, And that makes him a great salesperson. It doesn't matter, but you find the thing that works for your personality and you do that consistently with a proven process and you track and measure your performance regularly. That's going to make you better at selling. You know, all this kind of mojo about should we create endless reams of content, (sighs) show up on social media, live the laptop lifestyle, whatever. Fine. It, it, It can build your brand. And, and I, do not disagree that it will build brand awareness and visibility. And hopefully a lot of that will be positive, but it doesn't actually sell anything for you.
1: Yeah. I think this is the the key thing that I find again and again is like, like we said, right at the beginning, people want to market themselves, market themselves into a sale and the amount of energy required for that to work dwarfs the amount of energy required to simply connect with and start a conversation with a stranger and do that consistently frequently enough 5 10 minutes a day yeah it, the irresistible result of that is going to be people are going to ask you about your products and services on a consistent basis it's 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 inescapable yeah so i'm thinking about two people here i'm thinking about somebody who's maybe already got a product or service and they're selling to corporate as somebody who regularly As a weather eye to the space, you'll see people making ridiculous faux pas on a regular basis. So I'm curious to know, (laughs) as a spectator, what are in your fail video top top five?
0: (laughs) I'm glad you specified five. Um, (laughs) So I think if I had to pick five things that were the big fail moments for people selling to corporates. One would be they don't do proactive outreach. So, you know, they sit on LinkedIn and and they're great at posting on there, but they're not actually building one-on-one relationships because again, that's a marketing activity, posting on LinkedIn, not a sales activity. They can be combined, so don't don't come at me. But um, you know, posting on social media to get corporate clients is not enough. The second thing that I'd say is automating outreach is just awful. Like it's always rubbish. There's always the tech snafu where you've written that it should put their company name in, and actually it just wrote company name with lots of asterisks or something after it, yeah. which is embarrassing. And also your deliverability decreases. You know the, the the thing about proactive outreach is that it should be about cultivating transparent one to one relationships, not about automating it to make it more convenient for you, but actually fewer results. I would say focusing on offers first. So a lot of people focus on and and really get stuck on what offer can I sell to corporate? You know, how much do I need to charge for it? What's going to be included? What will the name of it be? How can I create a sales page for it? And they don't even know if it's needed yet. They haven't spoken to anybody about whether they'd actually buy it for their organization and whether it would be helpful and they've done no co-creation work whatsoever. Fourth one, would be anyone who put uses like gimmicky outreach. I had one a few weeks ago where the person, and, and they do this to me regularly. So if they listen to this, hopefully they'll stop. But they pitch podcast guests. And so they, they pitch them. And so every three months I'll get the same guest and they'll pitch them to me and I won't respond because we don't have that relationship anymore where I tell them. And they'll go through a cycle. You know, They'll follow up with me. And the first follow-up will be like, hey, Jess, you you didn't bother to respond <laughs> to, to my email about saying so. And I'm like, ah, oh, good, that puts me on the, the right foot, happy foot. Um, their second email will always be like, you must have missed this. No, I didn't. I just ignored it. And their third email, the one that really grinds my gears, is always subject line, you are harder to get hold of than the Pope.
1: I get them too.
0: Oh my God, you that's must exactly
1: be. That's the one I was waiting for.
0: Ah, oh, it drives me insane. It drives me absolutely round the bend. If you're going to be gimmicky, at least be funny. Don't be insulting. Try and find something that's relevant. But ensure if you are not hilarious, just don't like, just don't bother. It's rude. It's offensive, and and you might not intend it to be that way, but it really is. So. That for me is a a huge one. And then my fifth and final one would be bad proposals. And what I mean by bad proposals is if it comes on a slide deck, nobody's reading it. Like, I just don't care. Unless you're working in a creative agency and a creative role, your proposals should not be on slide decks because they look really aesthetically pleasing, but they just can't contain the actual information that's going to help you sell anything because the focus is on how they look and not what they actually contain. Those are my (laughs) buggers.
1: So that, that was really, really good. I think the, the automated outreach, I think this is another one of the industry trends at the moment. It never mm-hmm. works. It no. never, ever works. Just take the time and the care to show somebody that you're paying attention to them. It's um, got
0: such a low success rate. You know, everyone says to me, oh yeah, but I get really good open rates on it. I'm like, right, what are your response rates? Because we're judging lead generation by how many sales calls yeah. you book in, not by how many people opened it.
1: Yeah. And, and I think also putting that in the marketing bucket automation is fine for marketing, yeah. but if you want my actual attention and you want to manage that, call me,
0: Yeah.
1: email me directly, send me a video message. I don't yeah. care, but let me know that this isn't automated and then you'll have my attention.
0: Exactly.
1: So the next person I would like to look at is completely different. They mm. are really good at what they do, but they've been falling prey to the business to consumer or the business to micro business format where they've maybe been doing okay selling a course or they've got little coaching groups going but they have a zone of genius that could play a bigger game how should they prepare for selling to corporate what should they look at reorientating and rethinking
0: i think the first thing would be to increase your resilience muscle, if I'm honest. Because a lot of people who've been really good at what they do, and then gone into the business to consume or business to micro business kind of world, actually have really damaged their own confidence. Because a lot of the time, they won't get the sales that they were expecting. And so that makes them feel even worse about selling. And it can really put your mindset into a place where you're thinking, oh, I must be rubbish you know, those people internalize, I must be rubbish, it must be me, that's why nobody's buying. And sometimes you have to remind yourself that some people are just not that bright. They don't know that your services are great, and they don't know that they should be buying them. And even when you're telling them, they're ignoring it because they want the the shiny thing. And, And that just means that they're not right for you. So I think the first thing is increase your resilience muscle, remind yourself, okay, actually, if this hasn't gone the way I expected, Is that necessarily my fault? No, sometimes I'm just selling the wrong thing to the wrong people who don't value it. And and maybe that's why I've had to lower my prices or maybe that's why my sales strategy hasn't gone the right way. The second thing is get super clear. You know, the the mistake that people who are newer, A, to sales and, and B, to selling to corporates that they often make is that they think that their services are applicable to everybody. And they are. I've I've got no argument about that. If you're working in leadership, you can absolutely tell me that your leadership development services will be useful to financial services firms and also to supermarkets. I believe you. However, corporates don't buy like that. You know, they they want to work with a specialist. And I always, I, I feel the same way because if I had a heart problem, I would want a cardiologist looking at me, not my GP or someone who deals with bones. I would want somebody who's specialized in hearts to reassure me. And that's what companies looking out for. They're looking out for people to say, actually, I really want to focus on working only with financial services companies, or I already focus on working with hedge fund organizations or whatever. Because then for them, the added value is not only that you know your stuff, you can deliver you know, in your area of specialism, but also that you'll have industry trends and insights that they won't necessarily hear because they're working in this vacuum of their company all the time. When you come along and you're talking to three, four, five, ten 10 different companies every month, you can say, oh, well, it's really interesting because I know that company are prioritizing this area this month and actually you're doing this. Why is that? And make you think differently as a stakeholder. So, increase your resilience and get really niche. You know, you will make far more money far more quickly by being the sought after specialist than you ever will be being the, the jack of all trades, master of none, whatever the rest of the quote is that means it's fine to be generic.
1: So one of the things with, we've spoken about fear in lots of different areas.
0: Mm. Niching is another
1: one of these things that triggers fear. Yeah. And I'm going to use a hypothetical example here because I think it's going to be, pardon me, I need to stretch. Sorry. If you're watching, just listening on audio, let's say we have a hypothetical video marketing strategist. There's a lot of these people and I think everybody listening can probably identify with that kind of business owner and is probably able to understand how, how this works. Anyway, video marketing strategist, dealing with pretty much any business. So I have to be fairly generic but Mm -hmm. I'm really, really good at what I do. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know what? There's all these companies that have 400 to a couple of thousand staff. Mm -hmm. They're very remote from leadership. And if you look at the way companies are changing at the moment, there's increasing virtualization, there's increasing working from home Mm -hmm. and employees are starting to feel like a commodity. So what's going to be the difference? The difference is going to be the leaders of these companies actually expressing themselves online, being Mm -hmm. available to get behind emotionally. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And there's a market for helping leaders of large organizations be more visible within their own organizations in order that they can bond this organization more closely. I made that up on the fly, but in order for me to be the specialist in leadership visibility, I'm going to have to put a cloak over some of this other stuff that I've been doing. So how would you advise me to engage in that pivot towards a niche? Because you can't, it it can't happen overnight. Do we do a new website, new brand entirely? How do we do this?
0: I love these questions. So the simple answer is you do absolutely nothing to change your public stuff. So you don't change your LinkedIn. You don't change your website. You do nothing about that. You change your proactive outreach. And it's really interesting to me because people ask me this all the time, like, should I get a new website for every offer or, you know, if I'm moving into a new niche? And the answer is no, because you haven't tested it yet. You don't know if it's going to make any money yet. So what we do is we use whatever your proactive outreach approach is, whether that's LinkedIn messages or whether that's called email outreach or whether you go to all of your existing clients and ask for referrals, doesn't matter. And in that messaging, we're super clear about who we now want to focus on. It is highly unlikely, and I can't say this strongly enough, it is highly unlikely that a stakeholder at a busy time of the year, so any time that isn't between June and September, any of the rest of the year, they're going to be too busy to be like, oh, let me go and have a look at so-and-so's website. Oh, my goodness. Well, he said or she said that they were a leadership visibility expert and here they are daring to sell something else. They're just not going to do it. Like that, They're really, really not. So, you know, you can be clear in your proactive outreach and you can absolutely target people in the way that you want to take your specialism forward. The second thing is that if you do happen to stumble across the unicorn, you know, uh, director or manager who just isn't busy and does go and look at your website and they say, but I can't believe you're selling this on your website. You go back and say, yeah, I know, but what I want to sell you <laughs> is this because I think that your company would really benefit from this particular thing. And the reason I think that is because other companies like yours manage it really well. And these are all the benefits they get. So would you like to have a chat about it? Yeah. Great. Transparent.
1: So another question, I guess that's very well aligned with that is the first one's always the hardest. It's a little bit like a murder, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> so, Because we want to be able to show that we've done it before a lot of the time. So how do you handle this, being able to show you've done it um, for the first time? Do you suggest just do it for free, do it for cheap in order to get the social proof? What's your perspective on that?
0: The great thing about companies is the way that they assess your credibility and ability to deliver transformation is in two ways. One, it's about the questions you ask. How do you demonstrate that you can help them diagnose the right issue? You know, most decision makers will think that they're having one issue with their team potentially, and actually it's completely wrong. They're, they're looking at the symptoms and not what's caused it. So asking good questions helps you demonstrate credibility, authority, build trust. The second thing that they look at is, do you have a process? You know, most people, I could go out on the internet and, you know, could do it tomorrow. I'd be like, hey, I just help you make more money. And, uh, and most sales trainers do. They're like, I just help you make more money. And when you ask, okay, cool, like, but how does that work? They're like, well, I just, I help you make more money. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's not ideal. So what you want to be doing is sitting down on your sales calls with the, your decision makers and walking them through. Okay, cool. So here's what your problem is. This is where you want to get to. This is how I would see you achieving that. So if I was to do this in my industry, and I frequently do, I've been approaching stakeholders for lead generation recently with regards to objection handling, because Q4 is here. If you're trying to train a sales team or if you've got a sales team, they are trying to get everything they can over the line in the end of the calendar year. And what happens is usually they will focus so much on the easy stuff that they won't handle any objections. And if someone says, oh, this isn't a priority, they're just like, cool, sack them off, (laughs) which isn't ideal (laughs) when you're a company who has lots of wages to pay. So I'll always approach and I'll, I'll get onto these calls and I'll be like, right, okay, cool. So what do you think the problem is? Why do we think they're doing that? What do we think the common links are? And we'll talk about what they want to change too. And I'll say, okay, so what is it that you'd like to achieve? And they will all say, well, we'd really love it if our salespeople were more consultative. We'd really love it if they handled objections in um, a positive and productive way so that customers are left with a good feeling regardless of whether they buy or not. I'm like, brilliant. And I'll say, okay, cool. So in order to do that, firstly, we need to look at a cross section of what your salespeople are doing now. You know, let's let's have a look in their emails. Let's see how they're responding. Let's Let's analyze some calls and see what's going on. And then what we do from that point is we identify the, the three top reasons that they struggle to handle objections. And we put a plan in place to help them manage those particular elements. So whether it's time, whether it's you know feeling pressured about the end of year coming up, or whether it's they don't know how to handle objections properly, Let's put some things in place. And then we'll talk about delivery methods. You know, how do your salespeople learn? Oh, well, they love workshops. Great. Okay, cool. So do you want to do it virtually? Do you want to do it in person? So you can start to see that not only are you creating a process, but you're also co-creating a delivery method that's going to be workable for them, that's going to actually yeah. give them the transformation. And it's these things that make you stand out. Simply showing up and being like, I've already sold to company X, company Y, and company Z, That's fine, but the company you're prospecting doesn't really want to know about them. They want to know, how are you going to do this for us? So you don't have to have tons of case studies or testimonials. You have to have confidence in your own ability, for sure. And you have to be able to walk through with them the process that you feel like you would take them through to give them confidence that you, you are actually aiming for the transformation they want and not just selling them something, you know, that theoretically might work or not
1: what I really like about that is in sales frameworks are your friend for a really powerful reason that people don't understand. Yes, it does allow you to walk the client through the journey of the transformation. That's Mm -hmm. really, really useful. But what it also does is it takes the pressure off you to say, I'm fantastic because Mm -hmm. you can externalize it and you can say the process is fantastic. That investment in a framework, is Mm. probably the best thing you can do in sales. It completely changed my business. Where I wanted to talk next, I guess is budgets. Mm. I think after this question, I'm probably going to have to round things off, but I can see two routes, two, two potential results. Mm. I'm trying to sell you my thing. You've never spent money on before. Mm. So I want to come in and, I want you to hire me to polish everybody's shoes. You've never done that before. It's a ridiculous idea. I understand, but there's no shoe polishing budget. And then I have another product that's a leadership or a sales oriented product. Well, we have budgets for that. We spend money on that every year. So I've got pre-approved permission as, as a stakeholder to spend money on that. What's your perspective on designing a product to suit something, you know, there's a budget for, as opposed to, helping a client. So
0: no, Bob, I'm Gentle. Well.
1: Bob Gentle can design a product for a budget or he can design the product I think they actually need. Mm. Which route? Should I take?
0: So I think this depends on how much integrity you've got, quite frankly. So I say to everybody, your job as a salesperson is to sell them what they want and your job in delivery is to give them what they need so yeah <laughs> and that is because i believe in delivering the transformation the client wants right so for example the the hypothesis that you kind of posed there around shoe polishing versus leadership development <laughs> and and i can see i can see this link so for anyone who was like how the hell do they link up don't you even worry about it i got you covered so If I was the person who had both of those things, I'd be going to companies and like most companies, I'd be getting them to self-identify, okay, what's the problem? And, you know, what is the consequence of not solving that? And we'd probably talk in that leadership kind of questioning around what, you know, what's a problem for your organization? And it's probably something to do with work culture, right? Oh, we've got a really poor work culture and some people are really awful and some people are really nice. It's a problem. And you'd be like, okay, cool. Like, would you like a solution that would help everybody feel equal at work? And they're like, yeah, great. And would you like something that made people feel confident about themselves so that they could go into meetings and show up like a leader? Yeah. Would you like, you know, a solution that's going to help you to boost the morale of your employees because we know that that impacts productivity? Yeah. And would you like a solution that's going to also help you save time for your employees so they can go and do their actual job? day-to-day. Yeah. Great. The delivery method is the shoe polishing. But the way you're selling it is, you know, we have this amazing confidence boost clothing shenanigan that we can come in, we're going to deliver one-to-one to all of your employees, and they're going to feel equal, they're going to feel valued, they're going to feel motivated, they're going to be productive, they're going to save time. That's what companies buy. The actual delivery method, they don't necessarily care about. The danger, I would always say, is absolutely sell them what they want in terms of transformation. Give them what they need. How you deliver that's up to you. But the real danger is in people who will say, Jess, corporate companies have never bought anything like this because it is so radical and it is so needed and they just don't know it. And I always think to myself, mm, that's interesting because the planet Earth is a few million years old. And we've had a few, I don't know, millennia of people on the planet. And so if you are telling me that in 2023, we have not found this one thing and that the market is not already saturated, I feel like it's going to be difficult to sell. I would always, always, always rather sell in a saturated market than a blue ocean one. And I think that that is the problem that we see if we took it right back to the beginning of this conversation, B2C versus B2B or, or the way that the online space versus the way works that versus the way that the um, normal <laughs> space works. The problem is that everyone's looking for the new thing, the blue ocean thing, the thing that's never been discovered to sell. That's actually much harder, whether that's selling it to consumers, to micro businesses, to companies, because you have to do an awful lot of education and you take a lot of risk that they will eventually end up understanding and prioritizing this crazy blue sky thing that nobody else has ever thought of. Whereas when you're selling in a saturated market, your job is just be better than your competitors, have a better sales process, be better at delivery, actually prioritize and build relationships with your customers, resell to your customers, show up and do the thing you said you're gonna do. And that will actually win you way more business than trying to find the blue ocean thing that nobody's ever heard of that takes a ton of time and energy.
1: I think at the end of the day in sales, fortune favors the brave.
0: Mm.
1: And I guess where I'd like to end is maybe just tell me a story of the difference deciding to take that step to selling into corporate can make, Mm. because it's one that I think a lot of people haven't taken. They've they're, they're kind of stumbling through business. They're doing okay. If they do make that change, what can the impact be?
0: I think it's twofold. The average B2B sale in the UK is worth £10,000. The average B2C sale in the UK is worth 1500 We know that the average B2C sale also comes with the funnel mentality, the constant content creation, the influencer marketing, the, you know the software, the email marketing systems, the CRMs, etc. It costs a lot of money to run costs a lot of time to run costs a lot of energy um, and headspace b2b sales is proactive so it's a little bit different on the confidence front at the beginning you have to be brave it's cheaper to run because you only need an email marketing software like your own gmail or outlook or whatever you're using and you have to be relationship driven but actually practically uh, from a revenue perspective the money you make will be five times more for five times less work that's really nice. The, the other part to it is the impact part that you mentioned there. It's interesting for me, most people leave corporate jobs and they go to selling to consumers because they believe that's where they can make impact. Most people leave corporate jobs because they hate working in their job and their company treats them badly. And I, I understand that. Working on a one-to-one basis, or even a small group basis, or even building an audience of a couple of thousand people who listen to your podcast every month—shout out to the couple of thousand people who listen to mine every month—it um, doesn't necessarily create the impact that you could create if you work with corporate companies. Because when I go into a corporate organisation, I could be training teams of, you know, five hundred across multiple com- countries. And those people will go on to teach new generations of salespeople best yeah. practice techniques. And they will go on to, you know, be more successful, which means they'll go home with a bigger commission check. They'll be able to provide for their family differently. For me, the ongoing impact of that is huge. And it is, in a practical sense, larger than if I was to only work with consumers. Does it mean I don't enjoy the work I do with consumers? Absolutely not. Does it mean that their breakthroughs are lesser? Absolutely not. But in terms of measurable impact, I think that you can make a lot more impact a lot more quickly working with organizations through the sheer size of their teams and the budgets that they have and are able to allocate to initiatives.
1: Jess, it is always ridiculously motivating to speak to you. I really enjoy it. It's... I really hope people listening at home are inspired. And if people want to connect with you, if they want to go further with you, how can they do that?
0: Well, I have a four part mini series. Uh, it's a video series. You can go over to the website, selling2corporate.com. If you go to the training bit, it'll uh, all the resources, actually, I should say. That was a lie. Um, but if you go to the resources bit, it's got a free four part mini video series. I say mini, they're all about. 35 minutes long because I got a bit carried away (laughs) when I started them but it will tell you who should be the sort of person that starts selling to corporates what kinds of offers can be sold to corporates and more importantly for what kinds of prices Um, and it'll even give you a little overview into the frameworks that you can start to use to build out your b2b sales process if you want to
1: and for those not watching on youtube clearly able to see your website address how can where where can people find you Uh,
0: um it is selling to corporate.com and if you type in selling to corporate my podcast will also pop up so either way you'll find my face on the internet and uh, lots of useful resources
1: win-win and my final question what's one thing you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago
0: do you know what i was thinking about this when you told me that this was going to come up and i think it would have been asking people to do things for me Which I appreciate sounds like a weird one, but um, society as a whole, particularly with women, teaches us that we should be nurturing and giving to others. And I think that as um, business owners, particularly ones that work in the online marketing space, we can be very guilty of offering to help lots and lots of other people and never asking for anything. And, And we kind of build up this wall around we should be so successful that we never need help. And actually, some of the things that have been most valuable in my business or created the most impact um, have been when other people, when I've been brave enough to be like, hey, how did you do this thing? Like, can you tell me how you did this thing or can you give me an introduction to this person? And I always realize that it feels really cringe and really hard to do. But actually, I think it's so valuable. So five years Mm -hmm. ago, Ask, ask more people to do more things for you.
1: And what's also astonishing mm. is people are unreasonably willing to help.
0: Yeah, and exactly. Nobody ever asks. No, and that's the thing. And I think you you fall into that assumption of like I'm really good at knowing when other people need help, and I just offer it. So maybe they know I need help, but they just don't want to. So that's why they don't. And it's like, no, everyone's yeah. just really busy. They just don't have time to be like, hey, what's <laughs> what's Jess's problem today? How can I <laughs> how can I solve it? <laughs>
1: Well, Jess, you have been an awesome guest. I've really enjoyed myself. Thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to invite you back again if you'll come sometime.
0: You know I will. I've enjoyed it. It's been absolutely epic.
1: Oh, good. Well, that does bring us to the end of another episode. Thank you at home for listening or watching. And if you did enjoy the show, then I would be thrilled if you would offer a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. And a little reminder, if you're on YouTube, it's the like button, the subscribe and the bell that way you won't miss an episode if you did enjoy the show then you will love the personal brand business roadmap it's 50 pages of everything you need to start scale or fix your expert business it's 100 free as a gift from me just visit amplifyme.agency forward slash roadmap or hit the link in the show notes Jess you've been awesome thank you very much for your time
0: thank you